What's up, RPG fans? Welcome back to the Switch RPG Podcast. This is episode six. I'm one of your hosts, Philip, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Geo. What's up, sir? N- not too much. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. Ready to go tonight. Let's do it. If this is your first time listening, ladies and gentlemen... This is the show from SwitchRPG.com that brings you exciting news, upcoming game releases, and all the latest in the world of RPGs on the Nintendo Switch platform. After that, we read your questions on air and try to answer them if we can. Remember, we are all about community here at the Switch RPG Podcast. So if you want to be part of the show, you can do one of several things. You can email your questions to podcast at SwitchRPG.com. You can Tweet using the hashtag SwitchRPGPodcast, or you can do what everybody else does and dive into our Discord server. Our podcast channel is on our Discord server at discord.switchrpg.com. At the end of the day, we hope you know that we want to hear from you. Housekeeping first off before we dive into the news. Let's read a five-star review from old iTunes. Ooh. We've been asking for those reviews, and one of you guys have delivered another another one of our Apple Podcast listeners. So we thank you so much for that. Yes, Andy R354 gives us five stars and says, Great show. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you. Keep up the good listening work. That's what I've got to say. Yes. Keep your ears. It's probably harder for them than it is for us, to be honest with you. Honestly, yeah. Keep your ears open and keep up that five-star listening work. Second in our housekeeping, we have a winner to announce. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Thing. We put out a giveaway last week in our in our previous episode. Which, by the way, can I just say thank you for all the listens and the support of last episode. It came out a little bit late, but you guys did not come out a little bit late. You came listening in droves, and actually it is one of our most listened to episodes. So we just keep growing and growing and growing, and we are very happy about it. So thank you for all of the support last week. But we did have a giveaway last week. All you had to do was email podcast at switchrpg.com with... Your answer to this question, what is, who are the individuals that would comprise your personal RPG Mount Rushmore? And our winner goes to Mitchell Childs. Congratulations. Yeah. All right. Mitchell Childs emailed in to podcast at switchrpg.com and let us know his Mount Rushmore, his top four RPG influencers they may not even have to necessarily be people connected to rpgs but who influenced the rpg genre for him rpg gaming first up we got nubuo umatsu on his list and boy what a way to start off Mm -hmm. the 
Mount Rushmore here. So he says, I know you used him as an example, but his music has impacted me personally more than any other game composer. Now, I think we're going to be hearing from Yumatsu later, right? Maybe, maybe, perhaps. A little bit of a tease there. Yeah, I I mean, what else can you say? Uh, Yumatsu, fantastic. Then we've got, moving on to next entry is Notch. Now, not necessarily RPG, but I think there is a connection here. He says, Notch for Minecraft for ushering in the age of voxel-style sandbox survival building games. And I will say, I think that you could look and see that Minecraft has influenced a lot of game design and RPG yep. RPGs. Uh, we've got our Dragon Quest builders. I mean, yes. it's straight up. Yeah, they very, definitely added a very on focused to Minecraft. It, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then he's got Fusa Jiro Yamaguchi, founder of Nintendo itself, for making Nintendo happen, even though he could have had no idea of what the future would hold for his company. Taking the risk, getting out there, and founding the company that we do know and love today, right? Meh, overrated. <laughs> Move along. <laughs> and then another uh, another sort of thin connection with RPGs, but I think, I think this is an important one. Hideo Kojima for being a visionary in storytelling. I don't even like the play style of Metal Gear games, but they are very well-told stories. And I think if you look, I mean, Hideo Kojima, whenever you've got somebody who is such a visionary like that across genres, just, you know, no matter what the genre is, people are going to be looking at that and uh, are, are taking things from him. So, you know. I yeah, think- sure. I mean, I could see him as a major, major influencer for sure in in any storytelling, uh, you know, game, especially role-playing games. They, typically, they're heavy in story, so. Absolutely, especially especially Japanese ones. We've we've talked about that a couple of episodes ago. Uh, Japanese mm-hmm. RPGs, uh, loving their narratives, and where, where what better place to look than Hideo Kojima? So, thank you, Mitchell Childs, for that response. And once again, you are the random selected winner of the Saturday morning RPG game. Very good. Congratulations. Congratulations. All right, that's going to wrap up our housekeeping. Let's dive right into the news this week. We're starting off with an interesting one. This is a bit of a continuation of something that happened last year. Mm-hmm. We've got Nintendo being sued for peripheral making allegations by a game called or by a uh, by a company called Game Vice. Yeah, a company called Game Vice. And they are claiming that Nintendo knew about a patent that they had for c- controller peripherals. You will, you know, joy, uh, joy, like, uh, kind of like things with the Joy Con. Yeah. 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 It's very, very, very similar to, uh, Joy Cons. And they're saying that they had a patent for these controllers that slide onto handheld gaming devices. Uh, they, they've had it for a while. They said that they're essentially saying that Nintendo ripped it off. Geo, do you have any thoughts on, on this story at all? Um, I mean, do you think, do you think it, it holds any looks, water? 
yeah, I I don't think it's going to go anywhere because they initially, I don't know why, but they initially had some sort of allegations. They kind of started in the courts and then they dropped it. And then they're kind of starting back up again. I don't know. Maybe they have some more evidence to support their claim. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but I could see the similarities for sure. Um, I mean, is that enough to to win them a case? I mean, <laughs> they're essentially looking to stop sales of Nintendo in the U.S., which I don't foresee happening because Nintendo is just a you know a giant compared to these guys. But you know, stranger things have happened, I guess. But this is an interesting one, and this is uh, I'm 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 pulling this information from an article from Polygon, so uh, go check it out from their website. But I I, I think that this is interesting because this is the second time around mm-hmm. they did last year in August. Uh, it, they they went for two months and then they withdrew the claim, but they have filed a complaint against Nintendo before. Uh, so this is the second time around, and I'm, I'm not sure if that's because they've got more information they've got uh you know better lawyers more, yeah, yeah yeah so so they they're they're packing something here not sure uh there is an interesting line here from polygon that says it's worth pointing out that though nintendo frequently is sued for patent infringement this doesn't seem to resemble a patent troll case game vice is suing over devices it manufactures not merely designs it holds so, so their issue is the Joy Cons. Yeah, yeah, and so I think I think sort of what it's saying is like, uh, you know, companies could come against Nintendo because it's so popular, and they're saying, oh, we had these designs years ago, um, but you know, maybe they never went anywhere with it. It was just right. designs. But I mean, this is something, and this is what I find interesting because when back in August when this happened, I had never heard of Game Vice before, and then after that died down honestly like at the beginning of the year i was looking at controller peripherals for my cell phone i was okay. like because I, I before um uh, I, w- I was trying to find ways that i could play like rpgs and stuff uh like the final fantasy games on my cell phone kind of conveniently and i stumbled across game vice devices because they are pretty much when it comes to cell phone like cell phone controllers they're kind of the the premier thing. I mean, their 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 products are not state of the art. Right. Uh, you can you can grab a, a unit for like a hundred bucks, uh, but like they kind of own the market on 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 mobile phone controllers, and it is indeed now they are kind of like connected on the back. But you like set your cell phone down, and then the controllers like slide into place. It plugs into the the charging yeah. port of the iPhone. So like, and it looks a lot like a Joy-Con. I mean, wow. like I said, they're not necessarily free hold. You know, you're, you're not holding them free. They don't necessarily have all of the like the rumble and everything. Yeah, I mean, on the Joy Cons have Joy-Con. so many different features. Number one, I, again, I'm not terribly familiar with with the Game Vice devices, but Joy Cons, they're each an individual controller. Um, I'm not sure if again a game vice if they work on Bluetooth or if it does need the controller plugged in. Uh, game vice is Bluetooth. Okay, so they have that maybe in common. Um, you know you have motion controls. I don't feel like 
game vice no, would have that. Not, that's yeah, more, you're not gonna. Yeah, that's more in the phone generally. Um, you know, Rumble but, features. You know, there's added fe- a lot of added features in Nintendo. So, I mean, visually maybe, but I don't know. Yeah, but like here's here's the thing that, and, and this is why, like back in August, I didn't think Game Vice had a leg to stand on. When you're talking about controller designs, there's only so there's only so many ways that you can do it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we see in uh, sort of the major console controllers, you got like your two positions for the thumbsticks. That's really the only difference in like console controllers. So. Mm-hmm. When it comes to mobile, like I don't feel like I don't think I don't feel like you have a a claim, and you're just like you're the only one that can do sort of this mobile controller thing. I mean, if you want to talk, I mean, if you want to really dig down, I mean, technically, everyone's stolen off a Nintendo. To be honest, yeah, controllers on either side of a mobile screen is something that Nintendo's been doing for years, and Sony did it. And all these other companies, any company that makes a handheld con- mm-hmm. controller or like a handheld console, they've been doing it. So, I mean, okay, yeah, yours can detach. Great, awesome. But I mean, I just I don't I don't think that Nintendo. I think this is a a, a thing where like Nintendo's like, who are you? You know, I mean, <laughs> Game Vice. Yeah, they have like the market on this thing, but it. I mean, that doesn't mean that they're anybody, honestly. Right. I mean, I think literally Nintendo would be like, literally, who are you? And we and will buy I mean, you all out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we so. will own your company. I think it's interesting from the standpoint that they are sticking with their guns. They're coming mm-hmm. around for a second time around. I just I don't know what legs they're necessarily going to stand on because of the fact that there's such a history with mobile gaming anyway and all right, they're going to get them on detachable. Right, Joy-Cons. that's what that's yeah. their main thing is the detachable, you know, on the side controller. Because otherwise, they've if you look at their controller, they've they've ripped off uh, their button placements and all that stuff is rip off of previous or prior controllers from different systems. So I mean, everyone just kind of I feel like just rips off each other. But you know, yeah, using the the X Y A B button map. Right. So. <laughs> It's not like you came out with the most original thing in the world. Right. At least PlayStation changed it to shapes and, you know, they got around that one, you know. All right. Uh, Moving on, we've got a little thing here for all those Stardew Valley fans. Not necessarily Switch news, but on the Steam version, there is now a beta for multiplayer. And this is an update that a lot of people are very excited about. So we know that this update will be coming to Switch later. So if you do have the Steam version and you do want to try out that multiplayer, maybe with some of your friends who also have the Steam version, you can go ahead and jump into that. Um, And this is coming from NintendoLife.com. So uh, this is just sort of like hype for all of the the Switch players because that will be coming uh, later on. Um, So, yeah, good, good news there. Yeah, I'm guessing that'll be uh, kind of maybe coincide with Nintendo Online. Um, but man, you can. I played a little bit of Stardew Valley. It's a, it's a slow, very slow paced game, and this having a buddy or having you know having someone play um, along with you that'll speed things up. You'll be growing crops in no time. 
for me that that does feel really minecrafty because the thing mm-hmm. i mean i don't get me wrong i love playing minecraft solo like i that's just like that works for me because i like Phil's about to get really super nerdy here, but like I like <laughs> I like sort of role playing in my my Minecraft world, you know, like uh, being isolated in there. But dude, whenever I played Minecraft with friends for the first time, that's when it's like, okay, this game has arrived uh, right. because you're all like splitting up tasks. You're you know you're surviving, you're building up your city, things like that. So I'm sure if that if this has sort of the same payoff that like a Minecraft multiplayer has, I can totally see why this is a huge huge exciting thing yeah i definitely see a i mean a benefit no no doubt i don't i don't see it being a step backwards that's for sure from destructoid.com we've got a piece of news that says yonder the cloud catcher chronicles is launching on the switch dot 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 later this month <laughs> yeah we've known about yonder the cloud catcher chronicles for a while now but it seems as if the launch date for the Nintendo Switch is May the 17th. There is a trailer embedded in the article at Destructoid. So if you've not heard about this game, you can go check out some screenshots and a trailer and get hyped for this title. So release date announced there. Now coming from... The actual official Nintendo Japanese website had to hit the translate button because Geo sent me straight to Japan. Right to the source. We've got, what, uh, level designers being hired for the Legend of Zelda series. Right. Geo, take us down this road. I'm going to take you down. Now, this this can't be a surprise. I mean, obviously, they're going to continue to work on the legend of zelda i don't think they're going to continue on the the breath of the wild um branch but obviously something i think they're going to be doing something new so yeah i mean they they've got quite a bit of information here on you know they on who they want to hire and everything um so yeah i'm not i'm not surprised that they they're not continuing the work on on Zelda, they'd be stupid to not do that, right? No, but we like we like to see we like to speculate now, like what, what comes next for that series. What what kind of game are we getting? That's what's going to be interesting to me is after such a legendary release, right? And a quite the departure from the past series style and and level design, game design, world design. What's it going to be now? Like, are we returning to a little bit more linear, smaller scope thing? Or are they going big again? Who knows? Right. That, that's what I was going to mention. You know, are, are they going to continue the open world uh, theme or, you know, more of the, the not not really platformy, but the like you said, the linear style game? Interesting. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, my favorite thing about this piece of news is the fact that Geo put it in there, and it has to do with the Legend of Zelda, which is not, in fact, an RPG, according to him. But Whoa. obviously, oh. enough uh. to cover the news. <clears throat> I think I think I like to uh, cover what the people like to talk, like to listen to. <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of that, let's talk about something that the people really want to listen to, and that's the fact that about an hour ago, right before we started recording, Nintendo mm-hmm. hit us 
with one of the sweetest, sexiest pieces of news that we've gotten this week at least, all right? So, if you want to hear about Nintendo Online Service, Gio mentioned it a few minutes ago with Stardew Valley. He thinks that that multiplayer is going to hit with the online service. Let's talk about online service. Jason Schreier from Kentucky.com gives us a rundown of new information about this online service from Nintendo, and it's sounding pretty darn sweet. Yeah. First off, launching in September, obviously. Which we knew, yep. We did know that. We also have heard about the $20 a year plan. We weren't sure exactly what that was going to give us. We do know now that it will give us access to a smartphone app, which is currently free. But it will also give us access to 20 NES titles. We not just don't. They also have multiplayer functionality. Did I not read that as well? That they also... With online play added to every classic yeah. game, you can compete or cooperate online with friends, share your screen, pass the controller, depending on the game. With the Nintendo Switch Online smartphone app, you can also voice chat during play sessions. And if you if you read the list, they, they do list, uh, what is it, 10 here? They have Ice Climber, Legend of Zelda, Balloon Fight, Soccer, Tennis, Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers, Dr. Mario, Super Mario Brothers 3, and Donkey Kong. Now, some of those, I, I fail to see how they incorporate something playing with online friends like Legend of Zelda. How, how would you incorporate that? You know, I guess Super Mario Brothers three and and Super Mario itself, you can have one player at a time. They've kind of already done that, and and maybe that's how that's going to work. But Legend oh, of Zelda, I wonder if the compete, uh, maybe in something like that, you're going to have like a leaderboard. You're going to do okay. leaderboards, uh, yeah. and I guess that is like the online connection. And I'm doing air quotes here, but that's like the online connection, the way that they're getting around it there. Um, funny enough, I've never heard of balloon fight before today. And while I was riding to lunch with my boss, he was talking about how he grew up playing balloon fight with his friends and it caused so many rivalries in ways that the game never intended. And I was like, Oh, I've never heard of that game. It sounds pretty cool. Sure enough. I'm going to be able to play it come September. So yeah, yeah, excited about that. Uh, Um, Nintendo says, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to mention. Um, I they still they there's still a little bit of information that we we don't know. Um, like the the voice chat is it really going to be dependent on the app? Um, I I I really wish they would incorporate Bluetooth technology or Bluetooth audio for this, but it doesn't seem like they're going that way. It's just it's just a weird clunky way of of doing chat to be honest with you you're you're totally right you're totally right because listen i mean people have discord on their phones right now anyway so that's been the that's been the go around is to use discord on your phone the problem with that has been while you're playing at least for myself look i mean i'm a headphone player right so now i'm having to deal with two sets of headphones i'm gonna have to deal with earbuds inside my headphones you know because i'm gonna have to have 
earbuds going into my phone so I can chat and then have the game sound come through headphones. So Mm -hmm. that was what I was dealing with with Discord anyway. So their answer to that doesn't really improve it. And it's like, are you going to be able to get the sound quality of Discord anyway? Like, I don't see it getting better than that. So the way that you were going to get better than a third-party app was to have your first-party chat system be integrated into the console itself so that it runs in the background or it's built into the games. You know, so like, oh, well. (laughs) Oh, well. I I remember in the early stages playing Mario Kart, trying to play with my brother-in-law, and, you know, we would just be texting each other back and forth, you know, all right, you click, no, you know, let's do this mode. Let's do this mode. It's just, man, it just slowed everything down like major. And you want to know what, because this is something that you're not even thinking about geo. Cause you don't have an iPhone. So this is what <laughs> I'm having to deal with now. I've got to make sure when I sit down to play with my friends on the switch, I've got to make sure that my phone is charged yep. because being an iPhone guy, my earbuds and my charger use the same port. So either I'm going to have to go out and finally break down and get that adapter that allows the same thing, or I'm going to have to make sure that I'm charged up so that I can use my earbuds with my phone. So there's just too many things to think about with this, you know, this app on the smartphone. So, you know, you know, now that you mentioned that I'm actually in the same boat as you, you might not know that, but I have the Google pixel two, which actually has the USB 3.0 and it doesn't have a headphone jack. So I'd be in the same boat with you. Okay. All right. All right. So take it back. I'm walking it back, <laughs> but I am still an Android user. But yeah, it doesn't it doesn't work. And I know that I, I've read people saying that the console itself only has eight channels of Bluetooth, and they're all kind of dedicated. So that means you can have eight, up to eight controllers. And and I don't know. Again, I, this is a little beyond me. Why can't they take one of those if you're not using eight controllers? Which if you're gonna be chatting and voice chatting, you're only gonna be you needing, you know, two, <laughs> right? Take one one of those and make that Bluetooth audio, you know, and microphone. Why, why is that not possible? Yeah, because if I maybe I'm thinking about this wrong, but in in the way that my brain works. If you are using the voice chat, that typically means you're playing by yourself online with people. Right. Yeah. You're alone and you're playing online with people because you don't have real life friends. So <laughs> right. if you've got everybody over and you're using all those Bluetooth channels, no, you're not going to need it for voice chat. No. But if you're playing by yourself, it seems to me like you've got six channels of Bluetooth that Available. aren't necessarily being used. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess if you've got a Bluetooth headset, that's one. But I mean, you still got several channels floating out there, right? And, and again, I'm not sure if it if it even works that way. To me, it, it makes sense in my mind. But you know, they could figure it out. These are smart people. Yeah, and 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 look, this is something that may be patched in later. They may be launching it in the app, and then it makes its way over to the thing. It sure. just does. It does seem like a weird. Hey, it seems weird because it. We've been asking for this for forever, and then we finally get it revealed, and now it's locked onto an app. Mm-hmm. But Nintendo says it will reveal ten more game, oh, ten more NES games, as well as more details on how cloud saving will work. Because cloud saving is also a feature here. And this is also a point that you brought up earlier. 
Look, we're, we're excited. We're glad that we're getting this news. But another weird thing, another weird thing about this is that cloud saving is going to be tied to this online service. Unless I'm reading that wrong, they, right. may be, they may be just launching them at the same time, but it seems like they're tied together. And like you were saying before we actually started recording, that just seems like something that other platforms just offer because we mm-hmm. live in an online age. Why are our cloud saves tied to a service right. like this? This should just this should be happening now. You know, we should all have this because I've and I and I've heard so many stories about in about people's switches breaking and they have you know over a hundred hours in Xenoblade. And I know that some people even on this Discord server that we're in that they don't even want to put a hundred hours into a game because they don't have the ability to cl- uh, to save on a cloud to save externally for you know for the fail safe i guess so the reason why this is at- is it attached is it you know or just kind of they're bringing it out at the same time man i i, I really hope not but it seems like it is seems like it is which is really too bad but yeah. it, it, the, it it's coming it is coming so rest assured you know in september we will will have the ability to save in the cloud. And I think that the service will only get better over time. At least that's what I hope. But I, I, I would think I would think that it would get better over time. We're going to get more game offerings over time. Um but I think twenty dollars is very reasonable. And there is actually a little breakdown here. Twenty dollars is sort of like your 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 base thing is twenty dollars a year. Uh you can also pay Four dollars for a month, eight dollars for three months, twenty for the full year, and then there's also a family membership allowing up to eight quote unquote family accounts to use the same subscription for thirty five dollars a year. So they're being, in my mind, very generous with the price because mm-hmm. God, what is what is Xbox Live up to now? Is it sixty? Yeah. I think PlayStation Plus is Around the same. Same is either fifty yeah. or sixty. So like. Uh, granted, I, I don't know if the offering, you know, I don't, I don't know what the value is going to be for twenty dollars a year, but that seems to be very reasonable, uh, and mm-hmm. I think that it will only get better over time. So, at least once again, that's what I hope. So, right, just gotta wait till uh, September for all of that jazz. But some exciting things, also some things that I hope will get sort of tweaked as we go along. Um, yeah, we want to hear from you guys though. What do you what do you think about the the fresh news of the uh, Nintendo Online service? Are you into it, or do you have some reservations as well? But that's going to wrap it up for your news this week. Let's jump into the games that we've been playing this past week. Geo, hit me up. What you been doing? I have been doing absolutely nothing. Um, I was I was extremely sick this week. I was writing letters to friends and families, um, thinking this was going to be the last of you, you know, that you would hear of me. Um, but you know, I did try to play some Elder Scrolls, and and I, I was just getting nauseous, and <laughs> I was just I just knocked the headset off. I said, "I'm going, I'm going to bed. I can't." I, yeah, so I did very little, very little anything really. I didn't go to work. I didn't do anything. So yeah, I was down and out. 
I also did uh, very little gaming this week as well. I'm still working on my Saturday morning RPG uh, review. And then I also did fire up Rise of the Tomb Raider. I finished the original Tomb Raider 2013. Enjoyed it a lot. And then I started Rise. And I like how it's beginning. I like some of... Because to me, you can draw a very distinct parallel between Arkham Asylum to Arkham City and how system wise and then also game design wise it really opened up in City some people really enjoyed that some people liked the more linear closed uh, Mm -hmm. game design of Asylum and the same thing happens here Tomb Raider there were a lot of great concepts and ideas and then Rise of the Tomb Raider takes those and expands them out in, in, in every way possible from the crafting to the exploration to the collecting. Everything is bigger. Um, and, and I'm enjoying it so far. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to continue playing that now real quick. I got to say something about Tomb Raider. Mm-hmm. I feel like it can't catch a break. I feel like this series just cannot catch a break it has the worst timing if you got you just know people that just have terrible timing like it, it you just feel for them because they just have the worst timing in the world that is this franchise because i think the initial game had a lot going for it i think it was proof of concept it was rebooting an old ip and they were doing things that the old ip never did they they, they had a new vision new focus it was really neat uh, and it was kind of light in a lot of the systems. Then comes in Rise of the Tomb Raider. And this poor thing launched on the same day as Fallout <laughs> 4. So right off the bat. It you're wasn't going a surprise, against, was it? I mean, they knew. it. Well, exactly. Because Bethesda came out at E3 and said Fallout 4 is launching this year. And Tomb Raider's like, oh, well, guess what? That was when we were going to go too. <laughs> so anyway, so like right there, you're already you're you're going up against one of the biggest franchises from one of the biggest uh, developers in the industry. So that just sucked. Also, they had this deal with Xbox where it released on the Xbox. It was a one year exclusivity a on Xbox. Exclusive. Timed exclusive. <laughs> so that stupid. guess what. The Tomb Raider tried to rise and it just fell flat on its face because, right. you know, the, I'm sure whenever they made that deal, there was no way to know that there was going to be like three times as many PlayStation 4s in the in the wild than there were Xboxes. So that just that hurt. I'm now, sure the amount I'm sure the amount of money Xbox paid them for that exclusivity was not worth it in the amount of sales they could have had <laughs> with the PS4 crowd. Yeah. So you had the double whammy of being on the same day as Fallout 4, and you were just on the Xbox and not on the PlayStation. So now comes Shadow of the Tomb Raider, which also has some other issues with like DLC and and and, and things like that that I'm not too excited about. But guess what? It's releasing this fall, surrounded by Spider-Man, one of the most anticipated PS4 exclusives. In in this generation, people love their Spider-Man. And then after it is Red Dead Redemption. 
Yeah, the fall. The fall. No, I I think no matter where you place in the fall, you have Spider Man, you have Red Dead. Like, and what it else is are you right gonna in do? The middle. You, <laughs> you know what else are you gonna do? It's just you're screwed either way, <laughs> for yeah. real. You know, to be honest with you, yeah, yeah. And this is one of those deals where, like, Red, uh, yeah, I mean, Rockstar came out like, hey, Red Dead this fall. So just to let everyone uh, once know, again, <laughs> once again, Tomb Raider. It's like, well, well, goodness gracious. Shucks, guys. Can't catch a break. Anyway, uh, next segment, our games on sale, game releases. We have blanks for both of those this week. No releases, no new games on sale. So check back next week because there are some actual games being released next week. A game I'm looking forward to, actually. Oh, but we won't tell what it is. You're going to have to come back next week. I'm not saying anything. All right, that's going to move us on into listener responses from last week. I actually wrote this down in the wrong place, but I'll, I'll do it now. So listener responses from last week's side quest. Remember last week we talked about the state of the eShop, right? Yes. State of the eShop. Yep. And we did have a response from Phineas Fool. And he says, I do agree that a rating system should be there with and this is this is his step further. Phineas mm-hmm. Fool goes with the stipulation that you have to have played the game for at least an hour before you can rate it. I think that's interesting. I think that's interesting. Uh, I know Steam does like verified purchases, sure, uh, so that you you know you're making sure that the player has indeed purchased the item. But I think you know let them have some time with it. I think an hour is is generous. Um, it's kind of relative though. I mean. You look at a game, again, we talk about it a lot, Xenoblade. There are a lot of people who, who dislike it at first because the, the combat's kind of, you know, there's a kind of a little bit of a learning curve and you're not going to get that in an hour. There's no, absolutely no way. So to kind of rate a game after an hour for people who dislike that combat, you know, it's kind of, it's going to hurt a game like that. It's going to hurt, I think, a lot of JRPGs, to be honest with you, um, because of their typical longevity you know, sometimes it does take a little bit to get into, you know, a game like that. And, you know, you got, you, obviously you got to have some, some guideline. Is it an hour? Is it, you know, a verified purchase? You, there's got to be something. You can't just be rating games for, for anything. But I mean, but for JR, I think in particular JRPGs or long running games, it's kind of going to hurt them. To be honest, yeah, with you, and but. I mean, and I think, yeah, like, if you're a player and you you decide that you're going to rate a JRPG after an hour, like, if you know anything about JRPGs and you want to rate them after an hour, you just don't need to be rating them at all. Like, we don't, like, right? You, but you don't, you're don't talking these yeah. general population. Yeah. Yeah. People aren't gonna yeah. aren't gonna think like that. Uh, yeah. If you go to the, you know, the the Reddit pages, you just see this all the time. You see, you know, how long until. I get into this combat in Xenoblade Chronicles too, and then people are just saying, "Yo, fifty hours, you'll you'll get into it, whatever." You know, I was it's having just... tutorials thirty five hours in, so <laughs> so I mean, don't come to me whining at, after three hours. That, that's what I mean. So, so something like that, it's gonna it's gonna hurt them in in the long run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So interesting, interesting uh, stipulation there brought sure. forth by Phineas Fool. Uh, thank you for responding to and joining us on last week's side quest. Yes. 
So, listener questions this week. We've got a couple here. First is coming, the first two, in fact, coming from Mitchell Childs from Discord. I see, I see he changed his name. He's growing up on us. It's so so nice to see right before our very eyes. From Mitch to Mitchell. Kind of want to <laughs> shed a tear. What would you guys feel about Nintendo releasing a console-only Switch? Just the console itself, no Joy-Cons or dock for a cheaper price. I don't know how I'd feel about that because I just bought this thing, to be honest with you. I feel it might be just a little too early. And for me, I love the fact that I can take this thing wherever the heck I want. You know, if if my kids want to watch TV, if my wife wants to watch TV, I can just undock this thing and play it anywhere, anytime. Or I can bring, because I'm a two-switch household here, so I can I can bring my Switch that I'm working, playing at one level, bring it up to my other, you know, TV and just play it anywhere. I think, you know, this, this could be for some people to have kind of like a standard, you know, console. And if I was just, if I was to have something like that, you know, he's looking for a cheaper price. I would want it more powerful, to be honest with you. I wouldn't want a cheaper price. I would, I would want it to play, you know, not better games. That's not the word I'm looking for, but you know, I want it to use some more horsepower, you know, you would want, you would want like, if it's going to be docked only, cause that's the mm-hmm. thing. I mean, I think, I think this is an interesting concept but it also flies in the face of the the actual uh you know what the switch stands for sure i mean it's all about portability and being able to play at a tv or on the go so like if if you were to make a docked only console right a sort of a brick right a traditional brick i'm with you and that it it would be interesting if there was like a switch pro like it, if it were a little bit more of a powerful machine so that you are getting those consistent 60 frame per second performances, uh, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the things where we're talking about, oh, this game is starting to chug a little bit. Even Xenoblade Chronicles 2 suffers from some, mm-hmm. some uh, FPS drops, you know, some frame rate issues. Uh I think that I think that would be interesting if if it were like a a a a pro, you know, or you know, a a Switch Pro. But at the same time, like I said, as interesting because I can also see where he's coming from. Like if it is cheaper because what it would allow you to do is allow a, a lower entry point for people to like have like switch stations in different rooms of their house if you have a lot of people mm-hmm. um because I know that you can play multiplayer on one console, but um, I think like if you wanted to play online Mario Kart, I don't think you could do four players online, right? You can do four players online in Mario Kart on one console, though. On one console, so local multiplayer. Yeah, yeah, you can do four players. Okay, well, what about online, like online play? Online like, play. Uh, I've yeah. only played. I've played up to three. Okay. I would assume right. you could do four. Okay. Okay. All right. So I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, it's interesting just in that, like, it would give you different stations that you could play in your house if you have other people in your house. Now, I, 
and the only gamer in my household. So it doesn't make sense for me. But I guess if you did have multiple people wanting to play, um, and you, know, you said that you're a multiple switch household. I know for a fact that Mitchell Childs is a multiple switch household because he said that in Discord. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for someone who is looking to double up or even maybe triple up, I'm not judging, triple up on 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 the <laughs> switch, maybe a unit where you're sacrificing portability for maybe a cheaper price point is interesting. But I do like your Switch Pro. That's cool. I, I, yeah, I would appreciate a Switch Pro. Again, just Mitch- for those times where you think, you know, you, it would chug or for those game developers who say, who say, you know, I don't think they can handle it, but no, now they can. So that would be, it would be nice. Now, what, okay, so now this would be interesting if it were like a Switch Pro deal and it was still, you're still able with like cloud saves, right? So we're coming mm-hmm. up on, on the online service, cloud saves. Bear with me. So Dark Souls comes out, right? We're getting Dark Souls. Concerned about Dark Souls uh, performance on the Switch. But you get this Switch Pro that because of cloud saves and everything, everything is synced. You're not necessarily dropping the Switch into the dock anymore, but you're you're popping that game card into your Switch Pro. You can play it on your TV, save it in the cloud, pop that game cartridge in your switch on the go so all of a sudden now it's not necessarily dropping it in the dock but it's like going from your switch pro to on the go seamlessly that seems interesting but yeah. when you are playing on the switch pro it is that extra power it feels a little bit more console you know right it's interesting yeah. you know cool 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 i mean you could just honestly make the dock more powerful i mean yeah, There's why? That. I mean, I would, I would say, yeah. Why not make the switch more, more powerful? Or I mean, I think that the dock itself does add, not add power, but it helps. It helps. And, yeah. yeah, it helps yeah. with the power consumption and everything. So, I don't know. I'm sure that thing there are things they they could do in another iteration. Just it seems really too early for it, but very cool concept. Yeah, Mitchell cheaper Charles. price. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Mitchell Childs also asks, what is the most revolutionary gameplay mechanic introduced in RPGs throughout history, and what is one future gameplay mechanic that doesn't yet exist that you guys might want to see in future video games? What a loaded question. Now, this this one requires a lot of thought. I'm going to let you handle this one for right now. Okay, all right, cool. So here's my... Um, my gameplay mechanic that I'm going with in it. You're not, this is not what you think it's going to be. All right. I went so dragon the age path. Dragon no, age. No, what? no. All right. So I, just go I, ahead. Say it. Just say dragon age. This isn't what you think it is. And no, it's not dragon age. All right. So what it. I'm going with one of the coolest things ever, and not everybody has gotten this down yet. Right. Gameplay mechanic that a lot of people ignore is inventory management. This is super important in RPGs. I'll tell you one game that got it right. It was the bloody sock Kurt Schilling with Kingdoms of Amulet. <laughs> All right. It's a very simple thing, but I remember whenever I was watching it on the previews at like E3 and stuff, I was like, oh, that's super cool. Not a lot of games do this though. When you are looting in the world and you know, run of the mill RPGs, you loot everything, right? 
you wind up with a lot of stuff. It might be armor. It might be weapons. It might be sellable loot. It might be craftable items, right? Run into this in ESO a lot. You're just getting a lot of stuff. Clutters up the clutters up the inventory when you get to the shopkeeper and it's time to sell you're not sure what to let go number one because the item descriptions don't do a good enough job telling you if this is going to be useful later on or not so that's one thing right uh, yeah. putting that aside but here's something that kingdom emiler did that's pretty cool wish that i see it in other stuff so as you're looting in the world before you ever get to the shopkeeper you can go through your little your little inventory. You have a button that says mark as junk. All of a sudden, it moves it to your junk bag. You get to the shopkeeper, you got one button that says sell all junk. There you go. Boom. That is a really cool mechanic that should be yep. in every single RPG ever. Yeah. It should be in every single RPG ever. Because that is the one thing I thinking about like playing Skyrim or something. I, I do like I don't want it to deal with all that. If I if I'm going through my inventory because I've got like eight thousand dragon bones and it's weighing me down, I'm over encumbered, <laughs> and I want to. I've got I've also got like seven thousand iron daggers. Guess what? Never going to use that because I'm rocking ebony daggers, right? So I need a button that lets me scroll through and mark every single iron dagger as trash, or you know, decompose it or something. But like mark it as trash. That way, whenever I get to that annoying guy in white run, I can just <laughs> click one single button and then sell everything that I've marked up to this point. That is a fantastic system. That's not in enough RPGs. There you go. There's my gameplay mechanic. That was revolutionary. That not a lot of people are taking advantage of. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and you did kind of hit on it a little bit where, um, you know, you accidentally sell that one piece of whatever it is. And I did it in Skyrim. I forget exactly what it was. I think it was, there were like eight or eight rings that you needed to get or something to that effect to get into a portal. And I sold one of them and I don't remember what merchant it was. And I was going back trying to find this stupid little ring and it was gone forever. But anyways, that's just my nightmare Skyrim story. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a great concept. And I have seen it in some other RPGs, but yeah, that's so underutilized. It really is to just just have like a catch-all junk junk bag or whatever, and then just sell it all. And some games have an in-game thing where they know what junk is, they know what the sellable things are or whatever people typically get, and they'll just and you can have just a sell-all junk. And I think I've seen that before too. Well, you you you'll be able to sell junk and not have to mark it, but it is a very underutilized mechanic for sure. And while you were talking, I really, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to maybe answer this question next week because I really <laughs> haven't put, I put much thought into this one quite yet. And I don't, and I hate to give a half, you know, half brained answer. On okay. It. All right. Well, that's fine because I will, I'll come in and give another one. I've got, I've okay. got a couple Whoa. more. Whoa. So in Dragon Age, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. oh, okay. All right. All right. I'm, I'm no. just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. So here's another, here's another that I feel like is was revolutionary in gaming. This is not necessarily an RPG, but this is something this can kind of answer my what I want to see in future RPGs, right? This game isn't technically an RPG, but it has a lot of heavy RPG elements. Uh, Shadow of Mordor. All right. Uh, the Nemesis system was something that was really, really neat. And I think that in Shadow of Mordor, we had a really cool 
uh, proof of concept. Shadow of War, regardless of you know how people felt about the game, I think it does a neat thing with the Nemesis system. For those who don't know, the Nemesis system, simple in concept, complex in uh, in the way that it's implemented in the game. The concept is that enemies that you face in the world have the ability to level up and become individuals on on their own okay any so any you, enemy any basically any enemy um cuz you you might be running through the world and you you have these you have different levels right you might have your your just run of the mill normal enemies right so your normal orcs you're fighting them right you're fighting them. They don't have names. They're just blah, blah, blah. They're just Orc 1, Orc 2, Orc 3, Orc Ranger, Orc Berserker, whatever. So you're fighting them. Now, if they kill you, all of a sudden, the Dark Lord is like, oh, wow, you did really good. You, you killed, the, you killed the, 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 big, the big bad guy, you know, for them, right? So right. they kill you. So you get a promotion. All of a sudden, he winds up with a name. He winds up with a, a captain rank. He gets leveled up, and then all of a sudden, he remembers, he has a memory of facing you. So next time you face him, you guys have a history together because he's killed you before. And, and this works because in the lore of the game, death isn't necessarily the end, right? You just, you just get, come right back. Yeah. Yeah. Come right back. Right. So, um, so this would have to work for games where that, that like in lore made sense, but like, I, I just don't see why the nemesis system isn't being used in a lot of other things where, because not only that, but like these captains, once you reach like captain status, you do have a name, you do have a personality, you do have strengths and weaknesses that can be, uh, that can be manipulated, that can be used against them in battle. Um, and then like, while once, like once you die, what happens is all of these things take place behind the scenes where like all of the different orcs level up. Some get demoted, some exactly, get cla- some clash get- together. They fight. Yeah, so so they fight together. So you got like one captain taking out another captain. You, you rise in the ranks, there are ranks for the enemy. So it's, it's a really neat system that I think could easily be ported over in some form or fashion to other games. So that's what I would like to see in other RPGs is a system where enemies really matter, uh, especially in like Western RPGs where we're talking open world. Um, because, you know, JRPGs, I don't know if this would necessarily fit because you do have those enemy bosses that keep coming back time and time again, but their story, their story focus is, mm-hmm. is, is all scripted, right? You think of Seymour. Yeah, Seymour is one of those captains that just keeps coming back after death. He like um, he cheats death and keeps coming back, right? But that was all scripted, right? Yeah, yeah, that's all scripted. But in Western RPGs, I think that they could really benefit from something like this, where it really gives some personality to the masses of of uh, of enemies that you're just wading through throughout the world, and it really it can it can create meaning in what would seem like a meaningless task. Because I'm thinking like in something like Fallout 4, you're out exploring the world and all of a sudden you come up on this mutant or whatever and they kill you. Well, all of a sudden now that little exploration, like you're just in one corner of the world that, you know, 
It, it didn't really have a lot of meaning. Story wasn't there. But all of a sudden, something happened in that corner of the world that then made that person who killed you stronger and made a name for themselves. They Comes can like go a, off a legendary um, type character. Exactly. Yeah. And it's not something like a quest storyline. But if you're like me, you have sort of like these headcanon storylines as you're going anyway. And and so like it just it just sort of plays toward that play style. So, you know, yeah, I, 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 I think that'd be cool. Yeah, that would be cool. If it, I was I was you were thinking fall. I was thinking Witcher. You know, I'd love to yeah. see something like Witcher, that. Witcher. Fantastic. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Witcher already does a fantastic job of characterizing NPCs and things like that. So, yeah, just give that extra bit of personality to to sort of the masses mm-hmm. of enemies. All right. Uh, we got next. Qu- Thank you, Mitchell Childs. That was a great question. Um, next question comes from Meatball Sub, and he's asking for E3 Switch RPG predictions. This is also a loaded, loaded question. Uh, Gio, do you have any just like quick things you'd like to see quick quick um i i mean i think i think we'll see a little bit more on pokemon i'm hoping we'll see more on fire emblem we really got very little on fire emblem um now dark souls i believe will come after um e3 i think that i really feel like they've delayed it to nintendo fi i really do to add some nintendo related content to it like they did with Skyrim. I really feel like that's what's happening. So I think we'll see something to that effect. Now, as far as anything new that maybe, I mean, they did, they did state that everything you're going to see will be for releases this year, but they did that. They said that last year and they lied. They, they (laughs) snuck in Pokemon. They snuck in Metroid. So they are liars. I don't believe them. So as far as other things we'll see, uh, I I know people, I don't know if you consider Animal Crossing a RPG, Um, maybe something Animal Crossing. I don't know if you consider Pikmin an RPG. I almost feel like that's resource management sim, but you know, something Pikmin, I believe that game's actually already done. I'm not sure what's holding them up. Maybe they just want to release it at a certain time. I'm not sure. So I mean, kind of the obvious hitters, I guess, like I uh, kind of just said. What do you think? I think I think the big, your big ones there would be Pokemon and Fire Emblem. I hope for for all of the Fire Emblem fans out there that had a bad taste in their mouth after the the the, the directs so far this year. I hope that yeah. you guys get something really big uh, and, and in a cool way. Um, some other stuff. Uh, I, I know there's some 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 things like West of Loathing. Uh, I don't know exactly when that's supposed to come out, but I'd like to see some more things about that. I'd like to, I really like to see some Mario Tennis Aces really on display. That's coming out June 22nd. So, so it's just I, around E3, that time. E3 would be the big time for people to get their hands on it, and I would love to see what that story, the story mode looks like if it is very if it's if it's worthy of the label of an rpg of a sports rpg sure like uh like um golf story golf golf story was yeah 
Uh, and then we've got some other things. You got Octopath Traveler obviously coming out in July. Mm. I think that's a big time to show that off. Yep. Uh, there's a game called Shining Resonance Refrain that I, I, I've got my eye on coming out in July. Um, so a, a lot of stuff that I think... Nin- look, Nintendo's in, in a position where if they wanted to, they could come out and they could really show and flex their, their RPG muscles. And I'm hoping that's the case. But my big thing would be I'm hoping for a Fire Emblem because that to me is very similar in Pokemon where I've never played it, but I've been right there on the edge for a number of years and I've been like rooting people on who love it because I have a lot of friends who are neck deep in both of those IPs and uh, I really want the payoff for those. And and like I, I said a few episodes back, I love to get in on series when things are really good. So I'm hoping for a really positive Fire Emblem that everybody can get on board for, like Fire Emblem fans can get on board for and and, and really get behind. So so there you go. Um, What's our next question? A uh, question from Twitter um, from Kevin Coe. Why do you think most RPGers don't care about the latest graphics in gaming? Uh, just look at Octopath Traveler. It's a throwback to 16-bit, and people are going crazy for that art style. I think it's because most RPGs, uh, most RPG fans are in it for the story. Graphics, you know, they matter. They do matter. I'm not going to say they don't matter. But a lot of people are in it for the story, and and that's... That's why you see people caring less about graphics. I'm going to bring back a term that Geo threw around not too long ago. Oh, boy. With historical context. Oh, yeah. Historical context. You got to look at the historical context of RPGs. You got to go back to tabletop, right? Yep. A lot of people playing RPGs have that history. They're coming from those experiences of playing with their friends in a tabletop setting. Guess what? You don't have graphics in that. You know what you do have? You have imagination, right? Right. It, when, when it comes to imagination, everything is 60 frames per second. You know? like I'm, ac- I'm playing... I play tabletop myself. I currently play tabletop. And... Like you were saying, we literally play on a mat that has a bunch of squares on it. And the map, we draw the map on that. And our characters, you know, yeah, they're, they're, you know, they're nicely colored and everything like that. But that's it. Everything else is, you know, you got the, the dungeon master kind of telling the story. And we're describing, you know, what we do, how we kill these these enemies. It's all in your head. It's all about... It's all about the story. It really, it really is. It's a bunch of nerds talking about killing orcs and stuff like that. Look, when I play Dungeons and Dragons, we play on a mat that has squares on it. We draw our own mat. What we play, our characters are cardboard squares with our initials on them. No, they're not. And our enemies are literally nickels, dimes, quarters, and pennies. <laughs> the so, president? You're, fight, you're killing you the president. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so I mean, but I think that, that, is, that is a huge, huge point here. Why do a lot of RPGers not necessarily care about graphics? Number one, I think it's because if you look at 
their background, they're coming from a, a, a medium where imagination is key, right? When you, you say their background, the you're talking like role-playing games, not the yeah, people. I'm, I'm talking, well, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm talking, well, both, right? Both, but like okay. The player themselves, the player themselves has grown up with imagination being the big thing, right? Yes. You fill yep. in the blanks, you make your own story in your head. So you're not necessarily being bound by what's in front of you, right? It, you, when you play, you don't necessarily see a mat with squares. You're seeing the world in your head, right? So same thing here. Uh, yes, we're seeing 16-bit characters, but we're seeing it alive in our minds. Whenever I play Final Fantasy VI, yes, I see it's 2D and whatever like this, but it, it plays like a 3d movie in my mind right i was converting and and sure. and i've lived in that world i'm using my imagination to fill in the blanks so i think that's part of it but then also the games themselves uh you have some of the greatest examples of rpgs came from the era of that 16-bit style so that's why i think you're seeing a lot of throwbacks to that because you've got people that want to call back to this great time in RPG. You look at, um, you know, those early final fantasy games, uh, the secret of mana, the, uh, a lot of the greats, the tales series, a lot of people's favorite games and their favorite experiences came when graphics weren't photorealistic final fantasy 15. Right. right? So I think that's why another reason that you, you see a lot of people not really care about graphics as much is because, their fondest memories are still back when graphics weren't, you know, elite, you know, cutting edge photo realistic. So last questions from age of boredom on Twitter. He says, I play Skyrim in third person. Is there something wrong with me? Yes. <laughs> um, I know, I know you, you tend to play, I don't know if you play Skyrim in third person. I know you said you played, ESO, Elder Scrolls Online in third person. And I know I have a, another buddy of mine who plays Elder Scrolls and he also plays in third person. I still play in first person. I don't know what's wrong with what's wrong with me. I just I prefer prefer that mode. I feel like it's the way the game was made was you know, it was made for that aspect, the first person um, aspect. The it just looks to me it just the, they don't look the third person model the character doesn't look fluid it just looks wonky to me it just doesn't feel right and especially in something like Skyrim it already the, the the combat already feels kind of floaty so you already have that never mind when you go in a third person you don't even feel like you're hitting the character so for me it's it's, it's I just don't enjoy playing it in third person I okay, to answer the direct question is there anything wrong with you? <laughs> no, there's nothing wrong with you. You because you play the game how you want to play. Sure, yeah. Right. And I'm I'm play only the kidding. There's there's nothing yeah, absolutely, absolutely. wrong with you. Um but I, I will say that it is tough whenever you play something like Witcher 3 and then you go back to Skyrim playing third person because yeah, if you look at the intent of the of the developers, it's pretty clear that they want you to play that game in first person. Uh, that series specifically has a long history in first person. Look, try try to play 
Morrowind or Oblivion in third person, and you'll just mm-hmm. want to gouge your eyes out because right. that just wasn't the intent. Uh, they do have third person modes, but it's just not meant to be played that way. Now, I think Skyrim, it, it, it did some things to try to help with that. Like they did make the camera easier to control. Uh, the model looks a little bit better, but it's still, it is still pretty stiff. Now, I will say with ESO though, ESO, I had a blast playing in third person there and it actually made me want to go back and try Skyrim in third person on the console. Cause you gotta understand I'm coming from PC land. I've, I've primarily put in my like three, four or 500 hours in Skyrim on the PC, not the console. I do have the game on console and I've tried, but I am just, here's, uh, here's a little bit of an admission. I've got a confession here. I'm really bad with first person games with a controller. I just am like, I am terrible at, at, at aiming first person shooters with me on a console. Oh yeah. Like just, I I'm, I'm done. I, I I'm done. Um, I'm decent enough with a mouse and keyboard, but like, uh, because here's the thing. I grew up playing halo one on the PC not on the Xbox. I wasn't really? the Xbox boy. Yeah. So, whenever that series went completely console exclusive, I was, I was left behind and I've never been found since. So first person (laughs) games with me with controllers is just really difficult. So it's been very hard for me to get into the elder Scrolls games on console, but since playing ESO, I do want to go back and try Skyrim on my PlayStation in third person and see if that helps me a little bit get into the game a little bit more but i know that you play console anyway so i mean there's there's no big deal for you um yeah i mean and in certain situations you know i did try to play it in third person certain situations say for example in skyrim where you enter a building it's 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 a little hard to i don't know i just found it a little more difficult to kind of steal stuff you know kind of do what i wanted to do but Age of Boredom, do whatever you want to do, man. If the third person really uh, gets you going there, then do that. What I would hope is that ESO, or not ESO, oh, goodness, uh, Elder Scrolls Six, that they are a little bit more even. I don't want them to take away from the first person experience. I want them to completely build that out. But then I would also like, for, I mean, I'm just hoping across the board that our character models in Elder Scrolls Six take a leaps and bounds Step rocket forward. ship to space if you yeah, forward and in technology and engine wise and, and model wise i'm hoping to see advancement in bethesda and if not i'm really concerned about them moving forward but i'm hoping that models in general will look better and then specifically that they pay a little bit more attention to third person perspective as well so sure so good stuff there great questions this week guys that was uh just blew it out of the water remember if you want for us to try to answer your question on air you can email those questions to podcast at switchrpg.com or you can post in our podcast channel at uh, discord.switchrpg.com yeah and remember if you're using a question try to use exclamation point question and then ask your question because it helps us search for those so that we don't miss them. All right. Geo, you it's your favorite it's your favorite time. My favorite time. 
What time is it? It is the side quest time. Yes. All right. So side quests. It's uh, it's just kind of the same from uh, we discussed this heavily last last week, and it was also uh, for the giveaway. Um, name the individuals in RPG history that would comprise the Mount Rushmore, and tell us why. So our top four most influential people in in RPGs or like right. what who's impacted us the most I will indeed accept your side quest alright uh do you uh, help me up with let's 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 stagger them we'll go one 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 okay? sure so you go first who's your first my first um is gonna be Todd Howard um, I feel like his his work, you know, he, he starts in his early days on Elder Scrolls and wa- walks into Fallout. I, I think everything he's he's kind of, you know, developed has been pretty darn good. Um, he's also kind of, he's the mouthpiece of, of it all. So he not only, you know, works on these games, he talks about them like they're his children. Uh, and it absolutely... Um, I feel like he's kind of made his own, I wouldn't call it, you know, when you play a Fallout, oh, I mean, when you play a Bethesda game, you, you know, you know, you've played a Bethesda game and this guy has, has done a marvelous, marvelous job. Uh, yeah. Some of my favorite memories of like learning about game developers and things it, is watching interviews with Todd Howard that guy is an absolute genius in my opinion and Mm -hmm. the way that he approaches game development with the passion and love that he has uh, watching his specifically the documentaries about uh, the the making of Morrowind and how that I mean saved that 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 studio like I mean it was such a risk doing the things that they were doing and he went all in on on that game so yeah Todd Howard great first choice yes I will follow that up with a western developer Mike Laidlaw why of (laughs) Dragon Age fame okay because you knew it was coming. You knew yeah, I, was, I had to talk about... I'm contractually ob- obligated to talk about Dragon Age once, right. at least once per episode. Uh, and why Mike Laidlaw? Well, he was a higher up with the Dragon Age franchise for many, many years. Unfortunately, he has departed. And I talked about that last week when I was talking about Dragon Age 4, what it has to do uh, to come back into good graces. I'm concerned because Laidlaw's not there. But once again, I am a person who loves to watch behind the scenes of developers. I love to watch developers at conferences and at conventions and when they're revealing their games and how they talk about their games. Yeah, I have to wade through 80 years of PR speech and stuff like that. But I like when developers really know their game inside out and when they take risks on things and when they talk about them and they have to face controversy and I mean, the Dragon Age franchise has faced its its amount of, of controversy over the years and, and fan backlash and things like that. But Mike Laidlaw for many, many years was the face of that franchise at conventions and um, revealing the games. He was a... Ma- he, like, he made me want to learn the lore more 
mm-hmm. because of the things that he he would talk about. And um, I remember watching him talk about Dragon Age Origins, and he would mention different areas, uh, different countries that weren't even in that game. And I was like, wow, he's got an entire world in his head, and I want to, you know, I want to learn that world. And so he just made me excited about that franchise. It is one of my favorite franchises, so I've got to I've got to give him a spot on my personal Mount Rushmore. Michael, you know, not only did you know was he kind of responsible for your, the earlier Dragon Age series, but when he departed, you noticed it in the games. So you know, he definitely had a major major impact in there. Yeah, no, that's a great great choice as well. My next choice, um, it was kind of mentioned before. Um, it was, it is, um, Nabu Yumatsu. Did I say that right? Uh, Nobuo Yumatsu. Nobuo. Okay. Yumatsu. Yeah. Well, I mean, this guy's pedigree just goes on. (laughs) This guy's list just goes on forever. He's just been involved in Final Fantasy. You know, he's been involved in things like Super Smash Brothers, Blue Dragon. You know, he's got his hands on everything to say that this guy is, doesn't belong on some sort of Mount Rushmore is it would just be wrong to not have him on there, to be honest with you. So yeah, his, his impact, his influence is seen since the early or mid mid eighties. I think Um, it's yeah, he's, he's been around for, for quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, I, he is probably the most influential music composer Alongside Hans Zimmer, I would say that has impacted my life score-wise. Uh, he would have been an easy inclusion for me. I figured other people would have him on theirs. So for the sake of having some diversity here, I went another route with my composer. But he has an honorary. Like I've got, I've got his face like carved in there <laughs> in the background. Okay. But I went with Yoko Shimomura because mm-hmm. almost equally, uh, she has impacted me musically because uh, I'm, I'm a musician myself. I'm a, I've played piano since I was five years old. So, like, I, I remember talking and I remember t- playing the piano. You know, like, it, it, it's hard to separate the two. Um, so, she listening, growing up and listening to her work on Kingdom Hearts because she is so piano focused in everything that she does. It was a huge inspiration to me because I listened to a lot of other game music and it was, you know, it was violins, it was flutes, it was all these other instruments that I could not play. But the big, really memorable pieces in Kingdom Hearts all had their focus and emphasis on the piano. And so like that like spoke to me in a way that a lot of music hadn't before. Uh, mm-hmm. even, even Yumatsu, like, um, he uses piano, but he doesn't utilize the piano in the ways that Shimomura does. And, um, I mean, talking about pedigree, she had, she's been there. She's been there since the beginning. I mean, like right. she's been creating music since the beginning. Um, reading through some of her, her uh credits here i mean she did super mario rpg mario and luigi games kingdom hearts the entire series is her mastermind like any piece of music that comes from that's probably 
came from her fingertips. Like uh, she's a magician in that mm. area. Third birthday, Radiant Historia. Um, just game after game after game. Uh, Final Fantasy fifteen. Uh, she she came onto that, and that was sort of her. I guess that was her big introduction into the Final Fantasy series, and it is a just just gorgeous score. So sure, Yoko Shimomura. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, I'm gonna tell you the truth. I have never played Kingdom Hearts. Okay, but just with you describing it, I can imagine it being kind of heavy piano and just kind of you know almost in your face. I do. Ha- I own them. I've just never played them. So yeah, very, very, very cool. Um, next on my list is Hiditaka Miyazaki. Miyazaki, um, known for creating the Dark Souls series. Now it seems like every now, everyone now has a Souls-like Soulsborne game. Everyone's just being compared to Dark Souls, and and this guy has this guy has a lot to do with that. Um, just looking, looking back, he's done some work on Armored Core, something totally unrelated to, to being Dark Souls, but you know, as far as what he's created in Dark Souls, and I know even that has taken inspiration from other games, but the, the, the high fantasy or the fantasy like environment that Dark Souls has been, I feel like people are just kind of latched onto that. You know, it's kind of morphed into Bloodborne. It's morphed into, you know, plenty of other games. So I think his work is uh, is influential as well. Awesome, yeah. Never played Dark Souls, so I can't really comment. But once again, from, from a distance, you cannot argue the impact that Dark Souls has had on the gaming uh, landscape as a whole. So bravo right. to him. Uh, another person who sort of changed the game, uh, Hiro Nobu Sakaguchi, the the founder of the the, the designer, the director of the Final Fantasy series, uh, starting for Final Fantasy One, a a gaming franchise that changed my life uh, in, in gaming and then outside of gaming and the way that I, I look at the world and think about the world and you know. Uh, it changed some of my philosophies and it just it, it was very formative uh and and i've got to hand it to this guy you know um mm-hmm. so he he's got to, he's got to have a place on my mount rushmore just specifically for his creation of the final fantasy series sure yeah i mean that that game alone influenced a lot of a lot of games it's it's got a it's 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 the top one. It's it's like the top dog for sure. Next on my list now, just as just like you are contractually obligated to mention Dragon Age, I am contractually obligated to mention Secret of Mana. And on next on my list is everyone who created Secret of Mana, from the director to the producer to the writer to the composer, everyone who created that game will be on my Mount Rushmore. So it's kind of a lot of so people. All of a, a little, sudden, all of a sudden, Geo's got a Mount Rushmore city up there. Yeah, it's a little crowded. Carvings. Yeah, a little, little, little crowded. But you know, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. No big deal. 
All right, and then for my last entry, I am going a little bit unconventional here as this is not anybody from the game development side or even like the game media side. This is a a fan, uh, but someone who probably has had the biggest impact on how I play games and how I play RPGs and how I think about them uh, is a YouTuber uh, who goes by the name of Lore Runner. And I encourage anyone who has never checked out his stuff to do so because he's not the biggest YouTuber out there. Uh, in fact, right now he only has about 20, he only has, he has 23,000 subscribers, which I mean, for me is, is a large amount, but it's not in the millions. It's not sure. in the hundreds of thousands. And that's just not what he's about. Uh, but he is all about thinking. He's all about thinking about games, um, and specifically, I found him years ago, probably six years ago, six or seven years ago, because he would do these videos called ruminations, and he and and, and it went f it went further than reviews of games, but he would explore every single avenue and piece of a game, and he has ruminations on all the Final Fantasy series and his rumination on Final Fantasy six is like four hours long. Wow. And so like, this is the level of detail that he thinks about them. And he talks about games as if they're pieces of art. And what that did to me was it got me in the space of thinking about them as games. Yes. But also as pieces of art, as, as serious storytelling medium as a serious storytelling medium. And, and so like I have to hand him, a place on my Mount Rushmore because he influenced the way that I consumed this media and, uh, and, and thought about it. And he's, he, he comes from a background of playing tabletop and so like, and, and writing as well. So, I mean, that was like checking all the boxes for me. So I just really resonate his, his, his thought process. I may not agree with him, but because he thinks out everything and he, he is all about explaining and arguing his point it's so well thought out that even if i don't agree with his interpretation of a game i can respect it because i know that he spent a long a long time thinking about it and formulating his response so sure i mean lore runner on youtube go look him up yeah that sounds really i'm i'm gonna look him up um as soon as i can that sounds really cool all, all right, so I guess that wraps up our side quest. We completed that. We did. We did we okay. We did complete that. Nice. We did We did perfect. Um, and that's going to do it. Gio, got any last thoughts for episode six? I feel great today. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm just happy that, you know, my sickness is over. So, yeah, no, episode six, this was, I, I had a good time. Awesome had a fantastic time. I just want to thank. Okay. Sorry. I thought for sure that it just said that Adele just followed me on Twitter, but it was not <laughs> uh, just in case anybody was wondering, Adele is not following me on Twitter. Anyway, I want to thank our Patreon patrons, uh, our front page patrons, Manorcel and Mitch or Mitchell childs yes. for supporting us at that front page level. You guys rock. And uh, listeners, thank you so much for listening to this episode and all of our episodes and supporting us any way you can for rating and reviewing. You guys are awesome. You're the reason that we do this. And we are so excited every week to come back and give you new up, uh, new news and, and, and updates in the Switch RPG world. 
that's going to wrap up episode six of the switch rpg podcast thanks once again for listening and for sending those awesome questions and comments this week keep them coming by emailing podcast at switchrpg.com or posting in our podcast channel on our discord remember you can listen to the show each and every wednesday when i actually get it out on time at switchrpg.com or you can sub and listen on your favorite podcasting app once again we remind you if you're listening on an app giving us a rating and review would be amazing it would help us get more exposure and climb up those podcast charts on those platforms if you like what you hear remember that you can head over to patreon.com slash switch rpg throw us a dollar or two if you can if not no worries you being a part of our community is what matters the most to us finally remember that you can head over to switchrpg.com for all of your rpg needs on the nintendo switch platform until next episode i will see you around I will see you around as well. Goodbye.